I was just uh, looking at the Facebook feed. Diane was showing me some of the object lessons that you all are typing in there. Uh, maybe uh, Carolyn Stuvey should be doing Stump the Pastor next week instead of me. That was pretty good, Carolyn. That's the, that's the one I was able to read the most, so thanks for doing that. Uh, would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we uh, come before you today with a lot of things on our minds. Some of us, God, are uh, celebrating good weeks, and some of us are nervous about the weeks to come, and some of us are grieving, and because there are so many of us that call ourselves part of this community, Lord, you know that we have so many emotions, and so many fears and expectations, and so many uh, things we're looking forward to, and so many things that we're dreading. We find hope, God, in the fact that you are with us in the midst of all of that. We lift up specifically this morning, Lord, Betty Bolt and Bob Boots and Bruce Weston and Levi and Janice. We pray for Jan Kemp and Gail and Jerry Sage and Lowell Pettit. We pray for Dale and Terry Golden. We pray for Carol. And Lord, we pray for all who are suffering with COVID-19 and for Vanessa Diaz and her friends and family. Lord, we also pray for the wisdom of the leaders of our nation and of our state and of our county and of our city and of our school systems, that you would guide them in the ways of wisdom. Lord, we pray that they would be led by your Holy Spirit to practice resurrection, to find ways to heal the brokenness that we experience in our world today. Lord, we know that they can't do it alone and we can't do it alone, but it's only through the power of your Holy Spirit that we can find real healing as a world that is broken. Use us, God, to be agents of healing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am excited about the next few weeks of preaching. Um, I, the text I'm going to be preaching from today is one of my favorite stories. My sister-in-law texted my family uh, this week asking us for a verse. Uh, my nephew is going to a school and they're doing some sort of project and they needed a, a, a verse to put on a brick, a legacy brick for him. And I was really struggling because I, I'm not one of those people who has a favorite verse. I, and I don't really think in verses of the Bible. I think of stories in the Bible. And so I was like, well, you could put uh, Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 49, you know, but nobody wants to do that on a legacy brick or whatever. They want like Jeremiah 29, 11 or something or John 3, 16. Uh, but for me, I think in terms of stories. And this story that I'm going to read to you today is one of my favorites. Um, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 43. It's a pretty long reading, and I'm going to do my best to read it in a way that will hold your attention uh, through the whole reading. But uh, it's Acts chapter 10, if you're reading along at home, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 43. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. 
Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the poor, and he prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror, and Cornelius said, What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send me men to Joppa for a centurion, for, I mean, send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter is lodging with, with a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa, to Simon the tanner's house. At about noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven, he saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men from Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and, falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up! I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone. I should not call anyone, profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, 
I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a tanner who lives by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you've been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. The book of Acts was written by a man named, well, the man that we call Luke. He wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the book of Luke. So essentially the book of Acts is, is the second, is like volume two or whatever of Luke's gospel. And the reason we know this is because Luke starts off his gospel in chapter one with Hey, uh, basically he addresses his gospel in his letter to somebody or some people that he calls Theophilus. And then when you get to Acts chapter 1, he says, In my former book I wrote to you, dear Theophilus, of all the things that Jesus did, here is what happened after Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the dead. So this guy Luke has been writing about Jesus and Jesus' followers for a long time. He's experienced a lot, he's seen a lot, he's heard a lot, and he's writing it down so that people can read what he has experienced. And we are gifted by God with these writings today. They're not the easiest of writings to to take in. Because it goes against our very nature to live in the way that Luke is telling us that we are called by Jesus Christ to live. This chapter, 
in Acts chapter 10. This chapter is a major shift in the way that the early followers of Jesus understood their mission. Last week I talked about the way that we understand our mission today is to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus Christ. That that is our priority in life, to point people, whether they live in your house or next door to you or across the street from you or work with you or whatever, if they're driving down the road, the way that we live our lives ought to point people to the grace of God that we have found in Jesus Christ. But if all we're doing is that and we don't have a bigger vision in mind, we've missed a big part of what life can be about. The disciples, the apostles were going through their life and they were pointing people to the grace of God that they found in Jesus Christ. Peter was preaching every opportunity he got. They were, they were converting people to be followers of what was called the way, the way of Jesus, all the time. Houses were being filled up with people who would get together, share food with one another, create communities together, and worship together. But there was something missing. People who weren't like them. Peter's understanding was that the gospel was for Jewish people, not for Gentiles. Peter and Paul had conflicts, not physical conflicts, but emotional and verbal conflicts over the idea Paul understood that he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter was saying the gospel is not for the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10 changes all of that. Acts chapter 10 is the point where Peter recognizes that Paul is correct and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is radically inclusive. This story is amazing. But before I dive into the story a little bit more, I want to say that it's not just at this point that Luke writes about these things. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissions Peter and the rest of the apostles who were there to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That the gospel cannot be contained by geography. Luke, later on in the book of Acts, tells the story of an Ethiopian eunuch who's riding in a chariot and is led to understand the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, and is then baptized. He's a Gentile, and he's a eunuch. At the opening of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is taken to the temple by his parents, and the prophet Simeon declares that Jesus would be both a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of the entire world. And Jesus' first sermon, which ended poorly for him, they pulled him out of the synagogue that he grew up in, and were about to throw him off of a cliff. His first sermon ends with him reminding his neighbors that the prophet Elijah shared the goodness of God beyond the bounds of Israel. The Spirit long, long preceded Peter's understanding of inclusivity. Peter was late to the party. 
Because all the way back in the days of Elijah, all through the life of Jesus, Peter was seeing Jesus live a life of radical inclusivity, but he wasn't recognizing what was going on. And then we get to this point, where Peter is welcomed in, in Middle Eastern hospitality style, to Simon the Tanner's house. And he's staying there. And he's at three o'clock in the afternoon, goes up on the rooftop to pray. And at the same time, there's a man in another town named, what was his name, anybody remember? Cornelius, who was praying as well. Cornelius was a Gentile, and he was praying just the same as Peter was. And in Cornelius' prayer, he has a vision. And God says, go, send people to Caesarea where, where uh, Simon the Tanner lives. There's a man there named Simon who is called Peter. Go and find him and bring him here. And so he sends people. Peter has a vision of a sheep coming down from heaven. He's hungry. Anybody ever go to sleep hungry and dream about eating? Gio, has that ever happened to you? You don't think so? It will. Someday it will. You'll go to sleep hungry, and you'll wake up in the middle of the night realizing you were dreaming about eating hot dogs or something. I don't know. <clears throat> Machaca. The sheet is coming down from heaven. In Peter's mind's eye, he sees a sheet coming down from heaven like a big giant picnic blanket is the way I picture it. And on it are all kinds of animals. And as it opens up, God says to Peter, Peter, you're hungry. Kill and eat. And Peter says, not a chance. Never in my life has anything unclean ever touched my lips. And it's not going to start today, Lord. And then God tells him, there's some people, they're looking for you, go with them. The sheet goes up, Peter opens his eyes, or comes kind of back to reality or whatever. He goes with these people to Cornelius' house, walks in, they've got bacon-wrapped shrimp with uh, all kinds of unclean foods. And Peter realizes in that moment that it's not about the food, it's about the people. Because God, he thought it was about food. He said, Lord, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. God says, don't ever call something unclean that I have made clean. He goes to the people's house, and he says, I have come to understand that I am not to consider any person unclean. If we're to be a church that lives into our vision of becoming a church that is stirred by the grace of God to participate in inspirational worship, to practice radical inclusion, and to alleviate suffering, we have to understand that it is in incredibly important for us to know that the gospel is not just for us, it's for everyone. That no one is considered unclean in the eyes of God, regardless of what we have always been taught. No one is unclean. Everyone is welcome into the kingdom of God. The gospel is for all. 
I don't know about you, but I long to live in a world where souls are actively seeking out the truth. I long to live in a world where we don't buy out, where we, where we reject the idea that power and influence are to be used to get more power and influence. I wish that we could say as followers of Jesus, if it comes down to us or them, it's us for them. Whoever them are, whether it be people who are of a different race, whether it be people who are of a different orientation, whether it be people who are of a different political party, whether it be people who are of a different nation, if it's us or them, it's us for them. Because that is the way that Jesus lived. I long to live in a world where power and influence are used for other people, not to gain more power and influence. I long to live in a world that's free of the idea that people need to explain their culture and their bodies or their worth. I long for a day when you can be you and I can be me. And there's no judgment about it. There's only love and acceptance and us pointing one another to the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ. And I long to live in a world where human decency and dignity are the goals. Not power, not influence, not hashtag winning. None of those sorts of things are the goal. Just human decency and dignity and recognizing the Spirit of God in each person that we encounter. Radical inclusiveness is one of the visions of this church. Look, this isn't my vision alone. I sat with a group of people who we talked this over and said, yes, this is something through prayer and through conversation, we came to understand that God is calling us to be a place that is radically inclusive of all kinds of people. And here's the crazy thing. When I got appointed to this church, I answered the phone. I was sitting in my dining room in Abilene, Texas. And I have two people on the phone with me. One is my district superintendent in Texas named uh, uh, George Price. And the other is our current district superintendent, Eddie Rivera. And they said, Ross, this is a weird church. It's a church that has a whole lot of people who are on the left side of political and theological issues, has an equal amount of people who are in the middle of political and theological issues, and it has people who are on the right side of political and theological issues. And I thought, that sounds like home to me. I want to be part of that. But when I look around, when I talk to people from the church, I think we can do more. I think we can become even more inclusive, not just around political and theological ideas. I think we can become more inclusive around ideas of socioeconomics. I think we can become more inclusive around ideas of sexual orientation. I think we can become more inclusive around ideas of race and culture. I think we can just become more inclusive. And I think you do too.
And so what I would ask you to do is start praying that our church becomes the most inclusive, like radically inclusive place that exists within Doniana County. And then we got to be careful. Bishop Will Williman, who is a retired bishop now, I heard him talking about a church that started praying that they would become more diverse and more inclusive. And all of a sudden, a lot of homeless people started coming to the church. And the church started smelling different. Literally, the building started smelling different. Different kinds of people were hanging around. They would tell people, you have to put your beer down before you come into the church. And the leaders of that church got together and said, we got to do something about this. He, Bishop Williman was the pastor of the church, and he said, what do you mean we have to do something about it? God is answering our prayer. Just because inclusivity and diversity doesn't look the way you thought it would look doesn't mean God isn't answering the prayer. So we have to be open the way that Peter was to whatever God leads us to do. And whoever God leads us to reach to. And whoever God tells us to be welcoming to. I don't know if you know this, but about a year and a half ago, the leadership board of this church, along with the church, decided to start welcoming asylum seekers into this place and hosting them for a night or two at a time. That is radically inclusive. That is offering radical hospitality. That made me know that this is the place for me and my family. Because I want my kids to grow up in a church that is like that. We're there, but we can do even more. And we do it in the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.